Welcome to the Prep Me Podcast, the po- only podcast specifically for Canadian pre-med students. I'm Jorka Cherit, and with me is my regular co-host, Chancey Vino. Hello, hello, everybody. First of all, before we dig in today to our today's topic, we want to give our sponsor a quick but important shout out. Uh, Prep 101 is our sponsor. They are the most comprehensive MCAT test prep company out there. They'll get you ready for the most important test of your life. Now, today, we are focusing on something that is a very on everyone's minds when they're applying into medicine at this particular time in our lives, which is applying to medicine in COVID. Now, there's lots to cover today. I know there's lots of questions that we want to talk about. And I'm thankfully, Chansey has been sitting in meeting after meeting after meeting, uh, discussing what to do about applications in COVID with his respective institutions. He's over at the University of Ottawa. So Chansey, I want to start right off the bat was saying the most important, I think, question I keep getting from students all across the country is, how do I get clinical experience in COVID? Oh my gosh. And that's like every single student who's interested in medicine, because everyone is panicked that the opportunities and the doors are closed. And I think we understand why, because of what we're living in right now. Uh, But it's certainly overwhelming when you look at all these medical applications that have little boxes and mini autobiography input uh, platforms for medical experience that we aren't getting right now. So I think it's a super duper common question. And I just want students and listeners to know that it's not just you that's on sort of the panic and concern side. It's also the institution saying like, yeah, we still want that experience, but we understand that our students and our applicants are not going to be able to get it. So what we're trying to do is obviously we look forward to the future and I can only speak to, you know, a little bit on Ottawa, a little bit on the, on the East coast, but there's lots of forums I'm involved with too, even just online, hearing what people are talking about, administrative bodies, residents, we all speak about it. And I think what we're going to see is sort of an emphasis on repartitioning the points that would normally go towards medically relevant experience on an applicant's application being redistributed to other areas and um, not necessarily creating new boxes, but redistributing to other areas of the autobiography. So your community, your volunteer, your work, as well as looking into giving more sort of points to be awarded to the interview, to your statement of interest. Um, So rather than those points going away and being like a zero to anyone who doesn't have medical experience, there's going to be a way to sort of on applications notify that, hey, you know, COVID certainly impacted my ability to get involved and to you know, bank some medically relevant experience just because the opportunities weren't there. And for us, and you know, if I'm on the admissions committee and I see that, it just makes me think with a new lens of, okay, maybe I'm going to view this application under bracket B versus bracket A because of the experiences that they're saying they do or do not have. What, what if you do have cl- medically relevant clinical experience? Maybe you did volunteer in a COVID clinic or I don't know. I mean, so are, are those points lost for the p- students that actually got in? No, and I don't, I don't think they ever would be because, and this is not every school, like listeners, this is essentially just brainstorming. What do we do in the coming one to two years when we really see this as being a, a sort of a glaring concern on applications for both applicant and institution? Um, I think it's totally fine if you do have experience. I just, the brainchild or what we're thinking is, do we give sort of, uh, you can apply under the umbrella of application A where I do not have medically relevant experience in the last two to three years due to COVID versus applicant B maybe who, I had experience prior to COVID and I was involved during COVID and I'd like to use it towards my application and that's fine too. Um, It's just a question of whether or not in that bracket B, 
if you were completely on a different sort of grading scheme for your application, or will your medically relevant experience be seen almost like a bonus point or uh, additional points to your application? Because it's super valid if you've been involved in the pandemic response, rather if you are at a screening center or if you're being a, a volunteer reporter in hospitals, getting patients from point A to point B and trying not to increase foot traffic or over travel within the hospital. That's, that's fantastic because you're actually in the setting and you may think I'm not with patients, but you are with patients and you're seeing everything around you and you're living the pandemic outside of just your living room and your bedroom, which a lot of people are doing, which is great because we don't want people out. Um, but at the same time, if you're even involved in your community in a, in a capacity that you normally wouldn't be involved with, helping a local business, helping a local charity, when they too are stressed in times of COVID, that's gonna be a new experience for everybody that we haven't seen in years. And we will certainly value that as it relates to points and grading and overall composite scoring. I mean, there's still, are just more precious clinical experiences available. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's, let's back up and say, how do you even begin to get any clinical experience of the tiny nuggets that are out there right now because of COVID has limited so much? So how do you, how do you go about even finding that stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest avenues, other than going, like, there's tons of private and uh, non-for-profit organizations that you really just have to reach out to, whether it be like Canadian Cancer Society or Cystic Fibrosis Canada or Heart and Stroke, local hospices, local um, elderly care facilities, local clinics, you just have to reach out. And at this point, it's going to be either by phone or by email because we're trying to avoid that in contact. Um, but honestly, you know, an avenue that is still ongoing that people don't necessarily think about would be actually writing the medical school you're applying to or medical schools where you live and asking for opportunities to be involved with their education or educational curriculum where you can actually be involved in OSCEs. They're still happening on Zoom. They're still looking for simulated patients and sort of mock patient volunteers and people to help work the Zoom sort of getting a med student from room one to room two where admins, maybe they're getting better at Zoom, but a lot of the younger population that's applying to medicine is certainly well-versed in the technology. So there's these avenues that people have never even thought to consider as medically relevant, including just helping the school you're applying to, which is a nice bonus because it's medical relevant, they show that you were invested in their school and their sort of objective at the same time. And you get that backdoor view of what an interview and whether the OSCEs are like and what those kinds of things are like, that would be so much fun. Yeah. And people, and you just, unless you hear like me or you Tor speak about it, a lot of people would never even hear that this is an opportunity for someone who's an undergrad or someone who's in grad school, but has never sort of until applying for medicine, been within that world to overhear that, oh, this is an opportunity for me. So like, this is the kind of stuff I want to get out. And I think, you know, we could speak to 20, 30 different ways to be clinically involved, but there's probably hundreds of ways that are just like naive to me in the moment that I would still consider medically relevant on an application. It's not just Tora observed Dr. Smith in her clinic for four weeks straight, an hour a day. Yeah, sure. That's medically relevant. But so is going to be, you know, Tor was involved two hours a week in helping medical school OSCEs or medical school exams or medical training, volunteering to be an ultrasonographer step in, meaning I'll let people examine my abdomen. I'm just going to go and lay there. I'll get a little bit of training as to what to do, but I'm just there to be a person that they can put an ultrasound probe on. That's still fantastic involvement because you're investing in the medical education of maybe even the school you want to apply to. Those are all the kinds of things I never really thought of. And think about now, even in COVID, and I, and I know that there's been 
talk of a lot of that kind of, you know, hands-on experience being limited, even in those ultrasound, like, you know, ultrasound tech uh, training programs and stuff like that, but they're, they have to still be kind of out there, right? No, definitely. And I think we're in a good spot now. We're going to see more of it, which I guess if you're involved in the active cycle now or the next one, there could still be a lull in opportunities, but there's so many opportunities that you will never hear about until you're listening to, you know, podcasts like this, really reaching out and putting in the effort. So you just, you need to contact people and it will start at like the undergraduate level messaging sort of not even admissions offices, but messaging the undergraduate or the postgraduate offices of medical schools, because they're the ones that are going to have the tethers to the instructors that need help in this area or the physicians that want help with OSCEs in that area. If this is something that listeners are interested in, in terms of get me in med school without having to be in med school yet, because then I'm just going to get more experience and see if I'm going to like that world or not. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And then I I, want to ask you, and I want to pick your brain about what the conversations are around something that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm trying not to get angry, which is the credit, no credit that happened in 2020. I was, oh. I was so mad. So I, okay. The, the backstory is I was teaching bio 201, um, cell biology at the U of A, teaching other couple of courses. And right before the shutdown, I was like Thursday morning, 8am was my class. And, and we, I walk, went, walked into class and I was like, Hey, everyone, like, I don't think we're going to make it until our midterm, which is scheduled for the Tuesday. Like there's this pandemic. The students were really funny because, you know, head down, getting their undergrad done. And they kind of looked up and was like, what? Pandemic? What? What? They started freaking out. I'm like, uh, yes, what? there's a, there's like a thing, a virus and it's like bad. And I think we're going to shut down the university and I just want to prep you. And it was like, I felt really bad because I was the bearer of bad news. Hmm. So then of course, on that Friday, the U of A goes, we're shutting down, you know, we're going online. So I spend... I don't even, I, I don't even, I can't explain to you how many hours trying to figure out how to put as for the first time a second year cell biology exam online through our portal. And it went smoothly during the exam on the Tuesday at 8 a.m. Just after lockdown, I get an email from the, the university saying, if you have any assessments pr- pr- planned this week, can you please halt them? I wrote back, the most aggressive email. I thought I was going to get fired. Cause I was like, I have a midterm happening right now. My students have worked their asses off and we are going to get this done. And it's going to be representative exactly of what they're, they're capable of fast forward a couple of weeks. And the university goes, Oh, actually we're going to credit. No credit. In the meantime, I have been like just motivating and getting buy-in from my students that we can do this. We can get a grade at the end of this online learning that is representative of their place in the class. Mm -hmm. And they busted their butts. You know, we all did. And then to have that just fall off the map and get credit, no credit. I was, I was livid. My husband was like, can you please stop swearing? Um, <laughs> You're so angry. You're just so angry. I, but I, was like, so. <laughs> I was there for my students. Like it's, this is ridiculous. This is a, a class that means a lot to students. You know, it's hard. Um, it's, it's, it's really important as a second year class to, to guide the, you know, and plan their futures. So here I have a cohort of students and we have a lot of them. U of T did something similar. I know lots of schools did it, uh, went to credit, no credit. What the heck do you do with an entire semester's worth of NCs and Cs and nothing to show for it? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's, it's terrible and it's super stressful. And 
in ways I'm glad. Um, and I sympathize, sympathize with those that were in that environment. Cause that is super stressful, especially when you're not only thinking like medicine, our topic, you're just thinking about getting through undergrad and like, what does that mean at the end of my degree? How are going to, our professional program is going to look at it. Medicine sort of on the wayside for me thinking from a medical lens, like w- what does that mean for an application? Uh, the same stress, like I said earlier, even with medical involvement is still felt on both ends. It's the stress of the evaluators and these admissions committees thinking, you know, gosh, what are we going to do? Like, how can we, you know, yes, we've got the MCAT as sort of more of a standardized way to gauge academic uh, potential, but looking and appraising GPAs is going to be so tough because now we've got this mix of letter and numeric grades. And then now we've got our NCs and Cs similar to in ways, a lot of schools may have like their pass, uh, their no pass or their incompletes or their withdrew, you know, all those other letters that are associated with levels of completion. So what's happening. And again, it's school by school right now, though we do talk and schools and institutions do talk is whether or not you have to change and give options again, in terms of a GPA schema. So you apply to medicine and then maybe you say, okay, depending on where you are in your degree, if you were impacted by something like credit, no credit, or an area where you weren't able to take a full course load, let's say even that schools may be able to say, okay, you know what we'll do, we'll evaluate and determine a cumulative GPA for just two consecutive years of study, but not limit those two years to be third and fourth year right before medicine. Maybe we'll consider the first and second, or we'll take everything you have and we'll essentially put weight on the numeric rates we do have and say, you know, this is the credit hours that go with those particular um, particular grades, the numbers and the numerics as well. With how we handle the C's versus the NC's sort of in and of themselves, it's really to be determined. And I think it's going to be more so that we see that you do have the credits that you need going forth to just get your degree and that, you know what, we're going to get a score for GPA. How are we going to get it you, to be determined? Every school will be different in terms of what they do for their schematics. And you may even see their cutoffs change to that regard as well. Understanding that first and second year university for many is typically not the strong years, not the years that contribute to that 3.8 or let's say 3.9 out of 4.0 GPA. So the cutoffs, there's talk of them, you know, changing, maybe getting a bit more weight to something like the MCAT, which we can continue to study and do on our own time that isn't as hindered by COVID other than maybe testing center dates. We can go forth in that manner. Um, but the other thing will be just, you know, it's conditional on completing your degree. And whatever the university decides you need to complete your degree in the times of COVID, as long as you have it, we're going to give you that application sort of, you know, approval to send it into us. And if we give you a seat, you can still come in the fall. So that's still all unchanged. But in terms of this is what every school is going to do with credit, no credit, it's still it's still up in the air, to be completely honest, which is it's it's wild. I think everyone's sort of just kind of not panic by it, but trying to do do the right thing so that it impacts sort of a better cohort or a larger cohort than just the one individual who has I've got seven NCs, I've got one C or what, you know, whatever the situation should be. Yeah. And I think, and I think that, but okay, I'm going to just kind of be a little bit of a, a devil's advocate. You mean the schools haven't figured it out yet? What about the students that applied in 2021? They would have had those on the transcript. So why hasn't this been figured out yet? Yeah. And I think right now for those students, what I'm hearing is that they are being seen as sort of a, we'll look at everything you have. You know, we're going to look at all years and a lot of schools don't have those brackets and those schemas developed yet. It's just conversational as to what's the best way to be able to acknowledge merit in sort of that GPA success, but also get enough information so that we can actually gauge 
GPA success in terms of have they put in, because it's all, it's just, a, you know, we think of numbers and numerics and letters, which is great. But as you know, Tora, and the instructors would know, we also think of like course hours. How many hours have you put in? Because to calculate a GPA, I need the letter, but I need the hours that went with that letter. And I need a cumulative to give me near a full course load, you know, or a 75% course load for some people in the times of the pandemic. So yes, it's happening. There's still people applying to medicine because Believe it or not, we still need doctors, even in a COVID year. We can't stop training, um, but it really just skews the application to be, okay, you know what? We'll figure out GBA the best that we can. We will be understanding to this, you know, the credit, no credit, because it's out of the students' hands. We'll grade them on the years they have banked, and we'll lower the contribution of GPA towards the overall medical application. It might mean that your GPA, instead of being worth 10 to 15% on an application for medical school, is now worth 5 to 7%. And we're going to interview more people, whether it be through Zoom or in person, and we'll give more weight to the interview. So it's just, it's that redistribution, repartitioning that really everyone's doing in this particular time while they figure out exactly what does it look like for the years going forward when we start seeing hundreds of applicants, thousands of applicants that have transcripts that are really sort of a mixed mode of our traditional numerics and all these C's and NC's. Okay, so um, I want to take a little bit of a, a break here because I want to come back to this conversation, though, because I want to announce that you are listening to the Prep Me podcast. This podcast is made possible by sponsorship from Prep 101. It's Canada's premier MCAT test prep company. You will definitely not find a company that's more comprehensive, more prepared, and has more experience to prep you for the MCAT, which leads into my next question, which is how, how much more will the MCAT matter? I think it's going to matter more. And this is sort of, um, it's like being the, the, I don't know, the, the weather, the weatherman, the weather woman who's trying to predict what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's so, so tough, but it's the obvious academic, uh, area that we could certainly put a bit more points for because of the feasibility of doing the MCAT, even in COVID times, or at least being able to study for it. And because it is a standard means to compare applicant to applicant, regardless of if you're English major or if you're biology or if you're 10 years out of school, going back to medicine as a second career. Um, so I think it will. Um, and the murmurings are that it, it will, but will it be like it was five or seven and now it's 20? I, it's, I think that's sort of, that would be not impossible, but sort of outrageous to do. It's more of, do we take the points from something like a GPA that we're really struggling to determine GPA credit hours for a mark or for a percentage and award those points more towards the MCAT, for instance. So going MCATs are typically worth five to 10% of an application score at most schools. Um, certain schools like, you know, McMaster um, and Queens, the sections that they would involve in the MCAT, they might wait a little bit more. So maybe 15%, you might see it go up by 2.5 to 5% in the total application. So it's not going to be these huge gains or huge steps, but enough that it should um, evaluate a bit more academic um, contribution to the grade. The yeah, I mean, score. still that little bit matters, right? That, that that pressure now is wrapped up on the MCAT. That, as if the MCAT wasn't hard enough already, now it's worth just even slightly more makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And it's so tough because I mean, I imagine, I mean, I'm not an undergraduate student right now, but I mean, I hear from undergraduates, you know, on a weekly basis in terms of, you know, these types of situations. And yes, it's stressful and less, yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but at the same time to the message I, I said and plugged earlier, med schools still need med students. So they're going to be flexible and they're going to be a bit more understanding to the COVID specific situations because yes, COVID is the thing that impacts us all. But the individual, there's so much variability in terms of how it impacted you. Were you able to, at your school, maybe you were doing all online and you did all your courses and it was not impacted versus someone who was in person switching between online, then the school shut down and then I couldn't complete this. We respect that. And then that. you got COVID, which is happening now to a lot of my students, right? 
Mm -hmm. And now you're sick and now you've lost that opportunity or you're away from work or you're away from your volunteership. There's a lot of understanding. Uh, It means that on our end, it's a lot more work to go through applications and to sort of understand because we can't score every single application a different way. It wouldn't be fair to do so. But I think we also have to be flexible to change sort of the way we look at our rubrics. But that's nice to hear, though, that, you know, that I I think that people don't realize that medical schools are very... uh, really kind of always stay true to the fact that they're trying to find the best people and whatever that takes to find the best people. And, and I think that that's just nice to hear, even from my perspective, who has been around this world for a long time, it's just kind Mm -hmm. of nice to know that you're kind of stepping up to bat for the students and saying, where we, where can we find these students who have struggled and have had a lot of adversity put in their path? Okay. So then the another question is when and where are schools going to announce their adjustments to their various sort of basically rubric to evaluate mm-hmm. applicants. Some schools will do like very formal like news releases if there are major changes to the way they review applications, and you'll see it like in media outlets. Um, a lot of them will be it's unfortunately more subtle in the sense that they will literally just do online updates, or if they do have um, like outreach through social media, they'll do the same, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, you name it. But it's going to, I think a lot of them will just be through their sort of main portals online. So from the websites for the schools themselves, changing sort of those admission requirements um, and those subheadings on their site themselves. Um, Okay. So our application cycle is not a right until September, October. Mm -hmm. So when do you think that the listeners can sort of say, okay, now I have to start looking. We think June, you know, they start updating and start mm-hmm. really kind of, because of course, one of the things we've talked about already on, on the podcast is this idea that choose the school that's right for you. Right. And these adjustments are going to matter of where the a listener and applicant is going to be more competitive. So when do we think that we should start reviewing the adjustments that schools are making? I would say June, do we, do we give until June or should we expect it sooner? I would expect it sooner, but at the same time, I'm also like, as the, as the person who's been the student with like my five or six schools that I was interested in, I was very like diligent and you have to be, because there was a time when I wasn't and it burned me. So when I was really in it to get a seat, you know, I'm regularly, not hourly, but like a couple of times a week, you know, just double checking in with schools, either from their website or writing the admissions contact that I developed from writing the school themselves and asking them, you know, especially in my situation, there was a couple of schools that were overhauling their um, evaluation of grad students, which is what I was. So of course I was invested in knowing, okay, well, what does that mean for me when I'm doing this like determination of how you review my academics? Is it more advantageous for me to say, oh yes, please give a year of my grad school towards my GPA or will that hurt me? And it's just bonus points. Like I'm trying to figure out what schools are doing. And I don't think it, for me, it was until like winter, February, March, before they decided on the next application cycle for this, as soon as they can, like June, in my mind, is almost a little late considering how many application cycles open in July. And if you need to change something or, you know, invest some level of revision in your own school, your own application, it doesn't give you a lot of time to, to do that. Um, but same thing. I mean, I guess I can't say for sure, but I would hope at least by June, you would know, you know, via either direct communication or from something like social media or their, their web page, what a school has done to revise their application process. That's the only fair way to do it. They're not, they can't do it in July and August when people are actively applying. Right. So I would think June is sort of the last month they could make a change. Okay. So bottom line is schools are trying to be as fair as possible given the circumstances they will be as transparent as possible given the circumstances Mm -hmm. and the best place to find that is the website starting at the end of the semester fair 
Certainly. And just, I think folks, what it means too, is just, there's so much more value on reaching out on your own to get your own answers and don't rely solely on what you hear from, you know, all my friend who's applying or from this one forum. If you are invested and you want to go to this school or that school, please reach out. Like it's the best message I could give. Cause as we said twice already in this podcast, med schools still need med students. And of course, as Tora just, you know, mentioned, and I echo, they're going to be flexible to get those good people. They're not going to shut the door on good people just because they're like, oh, we don't want to deal with credits, no credits. Because it's not just you. It's a country, right? It's it's a continent. It's all this huge population of applicants that are all impacted by the same pandemic that you are. So there's got to be a, some level of understanding and flexibility. And I think another wrap up as we as we maybe wrap this, uh, this particular episode up um, is to say that clinical experience can be a lot more creative than people give it credit for. And just saying I'm in the hospital, that is therefore the only way to be get clinical experience, especially in times of COVID where that's restricted. So um, hopefully things open up. And of course, we hope that um, every listener is getting in and, and applying and getting in and becoming doctors that keep us out of the next pandemic, please. Can we do that? But, yeah. uh, but in the meantime, in the meantime, your clinical experience means interacting with patients in some way and the medical system in some way. fair, the most fair, 100% fair. And I think utilizing platforms like the Prep Me podcast and just being educated and not sitting in a silo and thinking, okay, maybe it won't impact me. I'll just sit and wait on my own and then I'll just apply. Be active, be an advocate for yourself um, and appreciate what we're talking about in terms of some of the things that once seemed so stringent might have a bit more flexibility to them. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Chansey, again for another wonderful podcast. You're listening to the Prep Me podcast. I am Tora Couture and my co-host, Chansey Vino. V-note, Vinot, you know, whatever, whatever you want, whatever way you want to pronounce his last name. It's good. I, I do it wrong every single time. One day I'm just going to call you Chansey. Um, and uh, follow us on your various social media and also on the www.prep101.com slash MCAT website because Prep 101 is our very generous sponsors and we want to thank them again. So until next time, ciao. See you later now.